Joshua chapter 8. Yahweh said to Joshua, Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Take all the warriors with you and arise and go to Ai. Behold, I have given into your hand the king of Ai with his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and her king as you did to Jericho and her king, except you shall take its goods and its livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose with all the warriors to go up to Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 men, the mighty men of valour, and sent them out by night. He commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. It shall happen that when they come out against us, as at the first, that we will flee from before them. Then they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they flee before us like the first time. So we will flee before them and you shall rise up from the ambush and take possession of the city and Yahweh your God will deliver it into your hand. It shall be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. You shall do this according to Yahweh's word. Behold, I have commanded you. Joshua sent them out, and they went to set up the ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua stayed among the people that night. Joshua rose up early in the morning, mustered the people, and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. All the people, even the men of war who were with him, went up and came near, and came before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they set the people, even all the army who was on the north of the city, and their ambush on the west of the city. And Joshua went that night into the middle of the valley. When the king of Ai saw it, they hurried and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at the time appointed before the Arabah. But he didn't know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. All the people who were in the city were called together to pursue after them. They pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who didn't go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Yahweh said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. The ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as they had stretched out his hand and entered into the city and took it. They hurried and set the city on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. The people who fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned back and killed the men of Ai. The others came out of the city against them, so they were in the middle of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, they struck them, so that they let none of them remain or escape. They captured the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. 
When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness in which they pursued them, and they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the people of Ai. For Joshua didn't draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took for themselves only the livestock and the goods of that city, according to Yahweh's word which he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, even a desolation to this day. He hangs the king of Ai on a tree until the evening. At sundown, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised a great heap of stones on it that remains to this day. Then Joshua built an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no one had lifted up any iron. They offered burnt offerings on it to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. He wrote there on the stones a copy of Moses' law, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. All Israel, with their elders, officers and judges, stood on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the ark of Yahweh's covenant, the foreigner as well as the native, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of Yahweh had commanded at the first, that they should bless the people of Israel. Afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua didn't read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the foreigners who were among them. So finally, in chapter 8, the city of Ai is destroyed. In the last chapter, they tried to destroy it, but they had presumption. And of course, this is a picture of our spiritual lives where we think we can overcome on our own abilities. We think something might be easy. We try to do it without God's help, and we're defeated. We can't overcome even the slightest little thing without God's help. And so we've got this picture here. Now they repent. They They've dealt with the sin of Achor, of Achan, and they put the trouble behind them. They've obeyed the Lord and repented, and now they're going to go into battle the Lord's way, and they overcome, which is what we have to do. Now, the city of Ai um, has been a mystery, archaeologically, uh, for a long, long time. Some of the commentators I read, which were older, they had no idea where the city of Ai was. <laughs> but in recent years, in the last 20 20 to 30 years there's been some archaeology there is a couple of suggested sites where it could be but the associates for biblical research they have a great youtube channel they've just spent 20 years digging at a place called kerbet el makata and they are 100 percent convinced that they have found the city of ai when we read that chapter they were saying or and the chapter before they were saying that it was located you know just to the east of beth avon and, and there's some there's 12 different geographical points described in these two chapters. It talks about the gate being to the north, things like that. Well, the, this Kerbet El Makata fits all 12. It's the only one that does. And it also has a burn layer, which dates correctly as well. 
so it fits nicely. So they have found the, um, this is the Associates for Biblical Research, they found what we believe to be the modern city of AI and the director of that dig, Scott Stippling, he spent 20 years there, I believe, digging and they found the most interesting things. Now, um, on um, the Biblical Archaeology website, this is this picture. Now, I don't know if you can see it. We'll put it up nice and close. But you might want to go to the Biblical Archaeology website and just look for AI. But you can see over on this side, you've got where Kerbert El Makata is and AI. And over this side, you've got this valley. And you can see that um, in that valley, that's where Joshua hid with all his soldiers. And um, they couldn't see them from the city of AI, but the Lord gave them this strategy of setting an ambush. So they sent men around the back and they were hiding in that little valley where they couldn't be seen. Then the, the initial force came and you know the soldiers rushed out the gate of the city and then they came in from behind and took the city without any resistance at all, burned it to the ground. Now, uh, I looked for this on Google Earth and it took me ages to find it. Uh, the reason is because if you're looking on Google Earth, everything is written in Arabic. Now, some of the names are written in Englishized Arabic, but uh, for example, um, uh, Bethel, is Beit L in its, so you can see how it's similar but different. So if you go looking on Google Earth as I did, you might struggle to find these things. But you basically look for the city of Jericho and then you go west a little bit and slightly up and then you'll be able to find the area. And it's a very, very interesting part of the world which I did um, just yesterday. Now, uh, and of course the city of AI completely demolished as it is to this day. Um, what I want to talk for just a few minutes about is just um, the complete destruction of cities. Now, this is what this is what uh, has been a real struggle for some Christians: is this idea that God would say to people to go into Canaan and completely destroy the inhabitants of the land. Just recently, there was um, one of Hillsong's, you know, Hillsong's big famous church in Australia, and they have a worship leader that well-known he wrote songs that we even sang in church and he recently he um, did an interview and said that he was no longer a Christian he was an atheist now didn't believe in God and he said he said I can't follow a God who would allow the destruction of the Canaanites you know this type of thing what we're talking about he said to me that doesn't make sense that's not the type of God that I follow and um, so you can see how at least for him it's a genuine issue and it's, it's worth talking about for just a few minutes, which I'll do right now, because the whole book is basically about this. On one hand, it is a picture of, it's a spiritual picture of the need to remove things out of our lives, which are strongholds. And I've already mentioned that several times, but this is historically something that the Lord did. And it is difficult to talk about, but it was, it's 100% it's a, a historical thing. This is something the Lord did say to do, it's something that the Lord commanded. And um, some people think that, you know, Jesus was so nice that he accepted everybody, that he wasn't tough, and they think that that's what God should be like. But, but people forget, there's a number of elements to this. People forget that Jesus is the judge of all the earth and that the Lord one day is going to judge the living and the dead and that everyone is going to end up in either heaven or hell. And it's all very, very serious. 
The Bible tells us in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So this impression that my God's not a God like that, my God's a God of love, that's, that's not a complete impression. God is, is a 100% a God of love, but love sometimes and, and always is, is fair and just. When I was in primary school, I had a teacher in grade six who refused to deal with problems in the classroom. So there was a boy in our class who was a bully. He treated me personally terribly. He would whip me with skipping ropes at lunchtime. Um, There's numerous things I can say about it. Um, It was the worst year of my schooling life because my life was, was a hell of a type for 12 months. And part of it was this teacher who, it was a small school, she was also the principal of the school and the teacher of my class. She wouldn't deal with it because she wanted to be nice to everyone. But the result was that the school, which had 60 students at the start of the year, had about 25 at the end of the year because parents realised that the problem wasn't being dealt with and so they started pulling their kids out of the school. So that lady, she was acting in a way that she thought was loving but the loving thing to do was actually to deal with the problem. And what she should have done was kick the kid out of the school for the sake of the 59 other students. And so a lot of pain and a lot of problems came to many, many families and, and families had to, their whole entire lives would change because she was unwilling to deal with the problem. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. The Lord Jesus Christ is a completely loving God and he deals with his problems. They're not his problems, but they've become his problems because of our sin. And if we go right back to the book of Genesis, the Lord said to Abraham, he said, I'm giving you all the land where you tread. But he said, you're going to be strangers and foreigners in a land not your own for 400 years. So the Lord promised this promised land to Abraham and his descendants, but not for 400 years. He said, because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fullness. So the people that were in the land, they were so evil that, that, that the Lord was going to deal with it because the Lord is loving. And that's, that's the same thing that we see with Sodom and Gomorrah. The loving thing to do was to deal with those cities. And um, can you imagine, you know, uh, thinking about something as evil as, say, Hitler's regime? and the Holocaust, and all the evil that's there. And can you imagine someone saying, oh, let's just do the loving thing. Let's let's ignore it. Let's pretend it's not there. Let's not deal with it. Well, that would not be loving at all. The loving thing to do with Hitler's regime was to deal with it. And after World War II, when they had, you know, the Nuremberg trials and all these things, and Nazi soldiers were put on trial, and some of them were sent to the gallows and all of this, it was considered the right thing to do. And so what, what we have here in, in, in the book of Joshua is not that God isn't loving, it's that God is loving. The right thing was being done. Now, with the flood and with Sodom and Gomorrah, it's very clearly the Lord at work bringing justice and judgment, just as he will do to all people one day. There's that great day of judgment coming. But what we've got in the, in the promised land is we've got the Lord um, using his people to bring about justice. And it's not that it's not that we're supposed to learn... You, we're not supposed to look at that and say, well, we can take matters into our own hands and we're allowed to use the sword. You know, uh, that, that's not the lesson here. 
the lesson here is a spiritual one. But at that time, in that moment, the Lord did use the conquest to judge those people who were evil and needed to be removed. It was the right thing to do. And when the Lord said to them that they had to be completely destroyed and removed, otherwise they'll become a snare to you, it, it's true. If you don't remove the sin for completely from your life, it will remain in your life and cause your future to be ruined. And we find that what happened was that while Joshua was there, he did a reasonably good job. But we're going to find out in the end of this book that he didn't completely, they didn't completely, um, completely basically remove all evil from the land. But they, they took basically enough control of the land that they controlled it. But there were all these cities and pockets through that hadn't been completely subjugated yet. And then when they split up the inheritance in the second half of the book of Joshua, the various tribes were given responsibility to basically subdue their own areas, but a lot of them didn't. And so that's where problems happened in the future, where they started worshipping the Baals. They started worshipping Asherah and other gods of the land. They were tempted by those things because they hadn't been fully removed in the beginning. And um, one of the problems in churches today is that children growing up are teenagers. They're not taught the fullness of all these things they're not taught apologetics and so they they hear politically correct ideas at, at school and university and other places but they don't have a balanced and a proper knowledge of the bible to understand and so they end up thinking the bible is wrong instead of realizing that the these pc ideas all around them are wrong now some pc ideas might be right but they're not all right and um and so we find that if someone like that worship leader at Hillsong had understood a bigger picture, he might have realized. Now that particular worship leader will himself stand before the Lord one day and he'll be guilty of, of making a God in his own image. He'll be guilty of you know the second of the Ten Commandments, which, which was do not make a God uh, for yourself. Well, that particular worship leader has said to the Lord in heaven, um, you know, you're not the type of God that, that I will follow, you know, the God that I imagine is like this. And he's created a God and of his own imagination. And people do do that, even to this day, even though they don't do it out of stone or out of wood or out of steel. And so we've got in the book of Joshua this whole thing of conquest, of destroying, but it's, it's also the Lord's justice. And it was also very necessary because the evil in the land was so terrible. And... Um, you can't imagine how bad the sins were of these people sacrificing their children in, in, in the fire and uh, the immorality and the evil and the violence and the things were so bad that the Lord wanted it completely removed and he wanted the land to start from scratch with something that was good. And the, the, only, the, the greatest tragedy is that they didn't do the job properly. And, um, but thank God, and the Lord even allowed for that because the scriptures wouldn't be the scriptures without all these illustrations and lessons. And the Lord knew that they wouldn't, but he commanded them to. But even in their failings, we've learned. We found that the, that the course of salvation history has brought to us so many wonderful treats. So, yeah, I agree completely that Noah's Ark, and the flooding of the world, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the conquest of Cain, and these three are the, the big examples. They're not pleasant. I agree. Um, but later on, you know, the, God's own people 
were destroyed by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians. So what the Lord said to do to others ended up happening to God's own people because they wouldn't do the right thing. And so in the end, we, we get left with one key idea, and that's the Lord requires righteousness. And whether a person is judged on this earth because they go through a terrible event or whether, or whether they're not, there's a judgment for everyone either way. And we need to come to the Lord. We need to walk in righteousness. We need to know him. We need to have the forgiveness of sins. We need to be people that love him and serve him. And we will find if, if we do that, we're, we're just full of grace and his love is in us. There are, there, you know, occasionally there are things in the Bible that I wonder about because we don't know all, we don't know everything. But I don't question the Lord because the Bible tells us that his ways are above our ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so his thoughts are above our thoughts. And if there are things you don't understand, then we place our trust in him because he knows. He knows things we don't know, and that's good enough for me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the Bible, even the difficult parts. Thank you for this chapter, Joshua 8, but also the whole book of Joshua and its, and its conquest. And I thank you for all it teaches us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us by giving us good, but you've also loved us by removing great evils out of the world. I thank you, Lord, that today Hitler's regime no longer exists. I thank you that, Lord, you heard the prayers of people and it's been removed. Thank God. I thank you, Lord, for the removal of, you know, the, the worship of Baal and the worship of these other things in the past, which was so evil and so wrong. Thank you for the removal of the worship of Moloch. Thank you, Lord. And I ask now that you would help us to worship you, follow you, to trust you. And I pray that, that young people growing up would, would hear the truth and not be swayed by the culture around them. Lord, these are all things that are important. And I ask for your help and grace in Jesus' name. Amen.